and we got to spend a bit more time than just a couple of weeks in in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, the next step for us was um, applying for Techstars and uh, getting into Techstars. Uh, we applied a couple of times, at least three to four times, uh, when we finally got into Techstars. Uh, we received an investment from them um, and we, yeah, that was basically one of the biggest milestones for our, for our company. Hi and welcome to Tech Talk. My name is Stefan and on this podcast I have conversations with founders, innovators and entrepreneurs in technology simply to learn and discover their journey of building a business in tech. In this episode I talked to Xenia Montan. Xenia is a good friend and I just wish for more women like her to join the startup community and start their own business in tech. A greater number of women in business would change the game for the better. But I also want to have more women on the podcast. That is why this is my call to action to all of you to send me names of women that are building great things in business and in the tech community. You can do that on the Facebook or Instagram page, tweet to the podcast and the guests we should have, or if it's easier, just message me on LinkedIn. And now back to my guest. Xenia is the CEO and co-founder of Planable, a content review and marketing collaboration platform used by over 5,000 teams behind brands such as Hyundai, Christian Louboutin, Viber, and United Nations. Prior to launching Planable, at 20 years old, she built a digital marketing agency and led social for clients such as Coca-Cola. You will hear more about her and her journey in our conversation. Enjoy. Hello, Xenia, and welcome to Tech Talk. Hi. Hi, Stefan. Thanks for having me here. It is a great pleasure to, well, first of all, reconnect with you. Uh, it's been quite a, quite uh, some time uh, since we talked and uh, yeah. actually even seen face-to-face, but especially talked. So it's yeah. happy to have you and, you know, uh, have a conversation about what you've been doing at Planable and overall in general. Yeah, it's definitely been a while. This, this catch-up has been uh, long overdue. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Xenia, I want to go straight into, let's say, added value to our listeners. And uh, I know um, you had an amazing ride with Planable. And, uh, uh, you know, I, let's say I've watched you from, from a side, uh, building my own startup. Uh, and it was just amazing how you, you jumped from one thing to another and, you know, witnessing your growth. Would you be able to tell me like your top three challenges you've had until you successfully got to your like first founding round? Yeah, uh, I think uh, first uh, top three challenges were uh, getting customers, um, building the team um, and yeah, co-founder relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially if you haven't had um, prior experience with working with the, with co-founders, it's always, you know, a challenge to align yourselves to make sure that everyone is following the same vision. So that's definitely something that, that we had to work hard on. Um, and yeah, the first one, customers, for sure. I think this is every business's challenge, how to get customers, product market fit, customer development, making sure that you build something that is 
valuable uh, to your customers and that they love it and that they're willing to pay for it and that you're following the right customers as well, that has been our number one challenge, not just until our first fund fundraise uh, event, but also afterwards, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was definitely one of the biggest, biggest challenges that, that we've ever had in our in our business. And with scaling as well, it becomes a new challenge, a different kind of challenge, but it's still customer customer related. And then the second challenge that I mentioned was uh, building a team, right? Finding the right key people, uh, hiring for culture, uh, especially in Eastern Europe where startup culture is still new, uh, you know, giving equity to employees is still not very, uh, you know, widespread and people still don't understand the value of it. And just overall, the mentality of the, of, you know, working in a startup is, is different from any other job. So finding the right people that are, have this entrepreneurial spirit and that are um, with you for the long run and really want to build this, you know, a big business, just like you want to build it is very hard to find, to find, you know, those type of, of people. What were some, some of your like early, early days um, strategies or maybe practices to create better relationships between overall the team, like co-founders, um, extended team, co-founders and the team. What were some of the practices that you, you've, you've, you've had to kind of build more homogenous relationships? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. I, I think um, there was not a lot of um, conscious um uh practices that we were doing necessarily there wasn't anything that we were planning but there were a lot of things that were happening by default just based on the circumstances that we were in uh that were helping us build trust and um really strengthen the the co-founder relationship uh, so in the early days it was just the three of us myself nick our cto and and uh and vlad our first co-founder and all three of us were working from a pre-accelerator in Cluj called Spheric. That's where we got started. That's where the entire planable story uh, has has started. Um, And just because we were, I think, isolated from our home country, where, you know, all three of us are originally from Republic of Moldova. And because we moved, we left our friends, we left our families, we left the jobs that we had. Because we were so isolated, we depended a lot on each other. Uh, so we didn't have, you know, other friends to spend our weekends with. So we were spending a lot, a lot, a lot of time together. And I think that is the number one most important thing that you can do with your co-founders. Just spend a lot of time with them. And it doesn't really matter how you spend it, like working or playing video games or going to bars together. But it is so, so important to just be present, be physically there. And I know that like in this current environment, this is proving much, much more difficult than, than it ever was. But it is so, so important to just be in the same place or, you know, spend the spend this most important currency that we have time. You're speaking so much truth because um, I can empathize very, very, very much with you, and I can see that uh, in our relationships, we are as well. We are as well three founders, so and we're spending a lot of time, uh, you know, working, um, either working if not working, then doing other, other kind of uh, activities, and it has helped us so much in the kind of overall relationship we've built so far. Uh, but you know, coming back to you, before we go any deeper into. Uh, 
into planable because I do have prepared some questions. I quickly want to extract like the story behind planable. Like, give me the like one reason or maybe multiple reasons on why you decided to build planable and overall the story behind it. Was it uh, you said spheric accelerator, but did it start it over there? Like, what was the the idea that it came from? Yeah. Um, the idea that it came from was my and uh, my co-founder's previous experience in the advertising world. So Nick has worked uh, in a in a digital marketing agency before Planable, and I was uh, uh, running and building my own small boutique digital marketing agency right before Planable. And both of us had experience with building um social media content and building editorial content calendars for brands and we both experienced this frustration and struggle with the process behind uh behind content calendars all the back and forth that is happening uh how slow the approval processes were uh just how antiquated the tools that we were using back then were and more specifically PowerPoints and spreadsheets and email. Um, so all of those problems that, that we had back then, they all translated into what we're solving today with uh, with Planable. Um, and um, where it started was Spheric. Uh, we were invited to participate uh, in the Spheric Accelerator in Cluj, and we got together there. Um, we worked for about two to uh, three to four months to develop our MVP. We did a lot of customer development. Uh, we built just the bare bones of what Planable is today. Uh, and we participated at the demo day, which is um, which took part uh, in the Texylvania conference. So that was the first uh, startup competition that Texylvania had. And we won that competition. And the prize was to spend uh, a couple of weeks in, in San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley to really really experience the startup culture and connect with the VCs there, learn from other founders. So we did that, but um, beyond that, uh, at uh, Texylvania, one of the judges uh, of the startup competition was Tim Draper. Uh, so he's a very, very prestigious uh, VC in Silicon Valley. Uh, and he invited me to participate in his uh, academy, Draper University. Uh, this is a, a program for young entrepreneurs from all across the world that want to build uh, huge, huge businesses and basically conquer the world. So I, I participated in, uh, in that program um, and we got to spend a bit more time than just a couple of weeks in, in, in Silicon Valley. Uh, the next step for us was um, um, applying for Techstars and uh, getting into Techstars. Uh, we applied a couple of times, at least three to four times uh, when we finally got into Techstars. Uh, we received an investment from them. Um, and we, yeah, that was basically one of the biggest milestones for our for our company because during um, during Techstars, we got to launch the product. We started monetizing it. We met our now lead investor, uh, Gil Dibner from Angular Ventures. He was one of the mentors in the office hours at Techstars. So a lot of the things, a lot of the good things that have, have happened to us afterwards, uh, the start and the beginning was at, uh, at Techstars. 
Um, and then we decided how to structure our team. So our, we're currently in two offices, one in Kishino for product and uh, engineering and one in, in Bucharest for uh, business, commercial, marketing, sales, all of that uh, commercial side of the business. And here we are uh, at the moment. We are uh, 20 something people on the team and uh, quickly growing. That's amazing. That that's that's a, an amazing story. But before we go even further, um, I've just realized that we actually didn't uh, tell our listeners what Planable does. What is Planable? Yes, <laughs> Planable is uh, a collaboration and workflow tool for social media teams. And what it does, it's it replaces all the tedious work and it automates all the boring, tedious tasks that a social media team usually has to struggle with. Um, so it, it helps uh, social media professionals come together in one single place where they can uh, plan, uh, visualize their editorial content calendars, get approvals from clients or from internal stakeholders on content and uh, move quickly from ideation of content to finally uh, getting it published. So imagine a pharmaceutical company. Uh, they have you know dozens of people that are involved in what their social media output should be. There's legal, there's compliance, there, there's marketing, but there's also product teams. So how do they all collaborate together? How do they all decide what's the best message, what's the best and on, on brand coherent message to put on social media? Before Planable, that was a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of PowerPoints, and a lot of back and forth on email. Now it's one single place that is centralized where everyone can communicate, exchange feedback in a very centralized way, and basically speak and see the same, same language. So it's one source of truth for a brand's social media content. That's that's amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the pain. I know what you mean in terms of media planning. I mean, um, we're not using Planable yet. Um, mind the mind the word yet. <laughs> but um, we do uh, we do have media calendars right now doing in spreadsheets that, you know, we have this podcast that we're actually on right now. We have uh, another podcast that is already live and also preparing the third podcast that we're going to launch. So there's a lot of media planning in, in the background. So I know the pain. Um, and I'm curious about when, when, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, a pain that you're solving. What was some of, you know, some of the, let's say, um, challenging uh, fact in the development of the product from all these uh, facets of the problem? What was, I know, maybe really hard to, to put together into one platform? Was it, and did you find anything like that? I, I think the biggest, biggest challenge uh, when it comes to product development was saying no, um, because customers are very vocal. Um, and also because we serve two different ideal customer profiles, we work both with agencies that, um, develop content and work um, uh, with clients. And then we also serve clients directly. They have their social media in-house. So their needs um, and their use cases are very different. Uh, so we need to be aware of that. And uh, we also need to follow our vision. We have a particular vision that we want to we want to strive for, that we want to build, uh, that we want to achieve. Um, and the hardest thing was saying no to customer requirements. And for example, 
probably one of the most upvoted uh, features because we have a public roadmap where our mm -hmm. customers can uh, upvote new features and propose, suggest new ideas. That's awesome. Um, yeah, and the biggest, most upvoted feature ever um, was analytics, building analytics into the product so that our customers can see um, how their content is performing. And that's a very valid suggestion. I understand why they need it. It is a very legit feature. Um, and we've actually lost customers because we didn't have that. So it is very powerful and, and very important to a lot of people. And we had to say no. And we're still saying no, uh, because our vision is not for us to become a competitor uh, to Hootsuite or a competitor to Buffer. We don't want to become a social media management system where you get everything from publishing to analytics to listening to everything social media management. That's not what we want to become as a company. Our goal is to become a collaboration platform. We look at Figma and Airtable and Notion and uh, platforms like that when we build our, our product. Uh, so for us, building analytics would have meant a step closer to becoming Hootsuite and Buffer, and that's not the type of company that we want to build. So staying true to our vision and saying no to our customers, even at the cost of losing them, that was probably the hardest thing to do. I could. I, I think the only thing that I can say right now is just uh, congratulations because I think you as a founder and also with the other two founders, I think you really have to have a good, uh, let's say, anchor within yourselves as founders towards the vision to not get, let's say, influenced heavily, heavily by, you know, the customer requests and steer your company into a direction that you wouldn't want to. Uh, to go to so congrats on that uh, that's pretty amazing um but uh you know and continuing the conversation on that subject when did you know that you have uh nailed the product market fit and if you have nailed it but i guess you did since you know things are going really well <laughs> yeah i think we nailed it um i i i don't know if we've ever sat down and analyzed and like declared now we have nailed it. Like today, September 26, 2019, this is when we nailed it. I don't think that has ever happened. I don't think there was a particular moment. Um, it was, <laughs> that might sound very funny, but it was a feeling uh, that you have. And I know that there's ways of like analytically, mathematically doing it, analyzing the, if you've achieved prior market fit or not. I think um, the founders from the Superhuman wrote a really, really interesting article on how to analyze if you've hit product market fit or not. We've never done that, to be honest, but it was just a feeling from the perspective of um, it's not that easy. It's not that hard to sell anymore. Like when we felt that we didn't have that many objections from customers uh, and when sales was growing, marketing was growing organically, when all of those things became a bit easier in terms of getting through the door and getting getting business, that's when we when we felt that we have achieved uh, product market fit. Um, but I have to disappoint you here, we didn't do any, you know, analysis specifically on this topic. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I wasn't expecting, you know, to say uh, analysis or any, I was just curious, uh, you know, how kind of what was the overall feeling or, but because I'm just assuming that there's a, 
there's there's a feeling there's a moment that you you feel once again yeah. that um and see in numbers in you know different um customer reviews customer feedback and so on that um you know the product is on the right way and the adoption yeah. becomes much easier and so on so um yeah, maybe we didn't feel it uh, maybe we didn't have like this big uh eye-opening moment of like now finally we have product market fit because we've really put a lot of work in advance when we developed the product first on we developed it based on customer customer feedback so i think it happened so smoothly it was just a matter of how many it was just a matter of nailing the workflow of the customer because our product is a collaboration and workflow tool. It was really about like having all those touch points and all those features and UI and UX that really made it easy for them to fit in their workflow into our product in a flexible and, and easy way for them and intuitive. So just at some point you felt like the customers were really, you know, excited about using Planable and they really understood it. And it was just an organic thing that happened. Yeah, I, I think I think what you said, just connecting to that, I think that having customer development, which is not anchored in product development. And when I say product development, I mean coding, designing and so on, but customer development anchored in touch points and interviews and conversations. And how do you do this at your agency in terms of planning your media? And how do you do this inside of a company as a social media manager and so on? I think that can save you a lot of time by doing it in the early days. Um, and also in the same time by doing that, I guess you kind of build your you know, ideal customer and customer journey. And I think that gives you the, a really solid foundation for your actual product. And therefore the product market fit can be much easier. Um, I agree. Uh, only thing that I want to add in terms of data uh, so that we don't seem very uh, <laughs> not data friendly because our company is extremely, extremely data focused. Um, but the only thing that I can add in terms of uh, signals for product market fit is probably the NPS score. Now that I'm thinking, you know, in the couple, uh, two years, our, our NPS score has skyrocketed. It has really, really grown a lot, grew a lot in terms of points. Uh, so maybe when we started, we had an NPS score of, I don't know, 30 uh, mm -hmm. points or something like that. So not, I mean, it's still by the benchmarks of SaaS industry, it's still not too bad. A 30 points uh, NPS score. And now it is, you know, much, much, it, I think it almost doubled. Uh, so that's, you know, definitely a sign that, okay, seems like we're on the right track. Seems like mm -hmm. private market fit is, you know, if not 100% here, maybe 95, 99% here. That's great because, um, I mean, I mean, what I want to say is that uh, NPS is not really hard to track. And if somebody is listening to us, don't think about it as a, as a really uh, complex uh, operation. It's just a, an Airtable form. You can find it on Airtable templates and, you know, uh, send out to your customers and fill in and that's it. <laughs> and, and people do it. You know, a lot of people might, you know, think that, oh, why would my customers do that? Do I need to give them incentives? We don't give any incentives. Uh, there's no discount. There's no nothing, you know, that they, might win from that but we get we still get a, quite a good reply rate i guess i guess you can you know add incentives if you're like a much bigger company if you're a corporate uh you know enterprise company yeah 
Yeah, you can add it. Like if you, if you see that you have a reply rate that you're not satisfied with, you can definitely add it afterwards, right? Yeah, exactly. So iterate on the, second, on the second version, on the second launch. We've been talking about what is Planable today and what are you doing, but, uh, and I know we've talked about Planable quite a while uh, already right now, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm also, you know, interested in and curious about what kind of, um, you know, cool features are you planning to build in the future? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, the type of companies that we're looking at and getting inspiration from are the biggest collaboration players right now, um, you know, Notion and, and Figma and Frame.io. So everyone who is building the ground floor of creative, collabor creative collaboration, we're big fans of them. Uh, so that's, that's how we see our company in the future. We see Planable as Figma for content marketing. And just like designers go to Figma to collaborate and, and, and work and manage designs, uh, get feedback from designs, but also create designs, um, that's exactly how we see Planable becoming. And now we have a great head start for, uh, for social media, uh, but content marketing is a, is a huge, huge field. And uh, we see ourselves as being the collaboration um, the operating system basically the collaboration and operating system uh, for content marketers uh, since you're saying that's 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 cool and um i'm kind of rooting for you definitely to you know become even even more and grow your kind of capacity in terms of how your how your product will evolve and what it will have as functionalities and features and since you're already saying you said um you know content marketing content marketing content marketing um some some really cool thing just popped in my mind the fact that you have been dubbed as the queen of content uh, yes. because because of the great success you and your team had at planable so um you know and you having extensive experience in marketing uh, prior to this managing uh, an agency uh what was your number one growth driver for planable <laughs> yeah you can probably guess, right? <laughs> yeah, it's been content uh, for sure. Number one, number one driver by far. Um, so we are a B2B company. So we sell to other businesses. We sell into businesses. And you might expect that us being an enterprise company selling into enterprises, we would have traditional sales, enterprise sales techniques, which would be, I don't know, um, introductions uh, and uh, cold emails and, um, and, uh, you know, events and that kind of uh, sales type of techniques, but that's not how Planable actually grows. It is very, very inbound driven. It's all about our marketing team and what we do. So um, it's all about uh, the content that we're building and the initiatives and the values that, that we're putting out there on the market. Our blog is super, super powerful. It is driving revenue and bringing customers because we answer important questions that people Google. Uh, people Google, you know, inspiration for their Instagram grids and we're there. They uh, Google how to um, structure their approval flows and we are there to help them with important and valuable and meaningful information that, you know, can help them. And obviously we're telling them a little bit about Planable. So it's SEO driven uh, content, but it's also product led content. It's everything that has something to do with, uh, with our product. So content marketing is the number one thing for us at Planable. 
And uh, beyond our blog, we've built and launched so many initiatives in the past years since since we've building we've been building Planable. Um, we had a report on the industry. We've launched a couple of eBooks. Um, in 2020, we even uh, did a study on what were the companies that grew their social media headcount the most. So we, we looked comprehensively at who in 2020 has hired a lot of people on social media roles, uh, because that would have meant they were doing they, they were doing quite well uh, if they were hiring in, in 2020. So we did an award based on that, and we made the list of um, of top uh, social media teams uh, in the industry. So all of those things add up, um, and, and they have really built out uh, our you know uh, revenue engine. I, I I I do know something that you didn't mention, and uh, yeah. the fact that uh, you've had a launch on AppSumo, which yes. um, some I've heard that AppSumo is good. Some say it's good. Some say it's not good. But also, in the it also depends on you know what kind of um, you know product and promises you go with towards that community, um, and. Um, all in all, on top of what you said, and there, those are extremely, you know, efficient and uh, um, good marketing tactics uh, to use. Um, how was the 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 AppSumo campaign, or what? How did add? How did that add value to overall growth? I think there's a lot of things to consider uh, when uh, when you're looking at doing something like AppSumo. Uh, there's definitely good points and bad bad points um, um, when when you're thinking about AppSumo. So the good parts are the fact that they do expose you to a big big audience. So besides the fact that you get a really good cash injection um, and you get a lot of customers. Um, they also expose you to a big audience. So all of those customers have wrote something on social media, wrote a review, wrote a blog where they were talking, blog article where they were talking about Planable. So it, it has created a lot, a lot of word of mouth and a lot of buzz that has afterwards brought us um, recurring customers. So for those out there who don't know about, about AppSumo, it's a platform of lifetime deals where um, people can buy a subscription for Planable, for example, for something like $39, $49 for life, and they get uh, access for life to the product, to a limited version of the product, but they do get lifetime access. So that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously, as a SaaS business, you want recurring business. You don't want lifetime subscriptions. So that's the that's kind of the bad the, the bad the, you know point uh, the bad argument uh, for um, for AppSumo, but you get a lot of exposure. Uh, so um, all of that word of mouth that the launch creates because AppSumo has I don't know a lot thousands and thousands if not millions of subscribers. So you get a lot of exposure, and then that creates recurring business for you which is, you know, really amazing for early stage companies. You get a cash incentive, uh, a cash injection, and then you also start getting like a small snowball that becomes bigger and bigger and bigger of recurring businesses from that word of mouth. 
Now, the minus is that you, from that cash injection, uh, AppSumo takes or was taking about 70%. So you get only 30% yourself. <laughs> Stefan's face is amazing right now. <laughs> um, so, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yes, it's a big, it's a big chunk. But even that 30% is a lot that you're getting. Mm-hmm. We had in two weeks something like, 3,000 subscriptions, 3,000 deals uh, that people have bought from us. So it was really like an angel investment type of thing, even the 30% that we got. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, you know, that's amazing. So it's really good for very, very early stage companies. Now, again, the downside is uh, the brand impact uh, that it does, right? Uh, It dilutes your brand uh, because, you know, obviously coupons, discounts, any kind of things like that dilutes your brand, not necessarily Absoma, but any Black Friday deal, any coupons and discounts that you're doing that dilutes your brand, makes it look cheaper. Um, So that's why, again, it's really good for very early stage companies that don't have a brand yet. So (laughs) there's not a lot that you can, you you know, lose. There's not, there's not too much to dilute since no one really knows about you. Um, and then the other side to consider is uh, the customers, right? The fact that there's a cost to it because you have to support and maintain um, those customers for life, basically. Um, and, you know, it's very well known in the industry that um, absolute customers, they are, uh, you know, super super good customers because they contribute with a lot of feedback, especially very early on when you need it a lot. They're also very, very vocal and they have to, you know, they have to be, they have to fight for their rights. They've paid, you know, an amount. That's the deal that we signed on, but it is a big amount of customers to support in the long run. So, you know, you have to to be mindful of that as well, that um, you're going to get, you know, a lot of customers uh, just the number is big, but they're also intense. So you need to be mindful of the fact that this is going to be, you know, something that you sign off uh, on for the really, really long run. That's a good. That's a really good point to to bring in into the overall decision of go, if 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 going or not going on AppSumo because what it makes me think actually is that AppSumo has to be integrated in a much bigger strategy because if you rely only on AppSumo, then you have yeah you have a big risk to you know if your product is not maybe not there yet in terms of product market fit i don't know you have a your burn rate is really high and you don't have a lot of runway and you do an app sumo and you know the kind of you know cash gets burned and you still have to maintain support for those customers it could be like you said you know thousands of customers that on board um that's that's a huge undertaking to have. So I think it's a really big decision to do. A lot of people bet on the fact that they're going to manage to com- convert those customers into recurring business, right? Like upsell them. Mm-hmm. That happens very, very rarely. And I'm on uh, a couple of Facebook groups for other people that other founders that have launched on AppSumo. So that happens extremely rare. So don't bet on that as well. Um, people are there to buy lifetime deals. So, um, budgets are small, so they're most likely not going to convert on, you know, monthly plans or recurring plans to get more features. And another thing that you need to think about is how, 
what's the product that you're actually selling, right? How do you limit the features? Um, you know, think about what 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 are the are you going to give them lifetime access to all the features that you're going to develop in the futures as well, or just the current features that you have? You know, so really think about what you're promising because you got to stay true to your promise. So that that is that is super important. Um, I, I agree, and I like very much what you're saying. Um, so um, yeah, you have to be really careful in terms of how you manage. Uh, the AppSumo approach. Um, Xenia, you are a female founder, and we <laughs> both know, yeah, and we both know that you know um, from from time to time, you know, you can. I mean, not to time, time, time not not the perfect uh, use of words, but um, we both know that in the startup ecosystem, there's a hardship for female founders to fundraise. Um, or different kind of hardships. Uh, did you have moments of like different response just because you were a woman? Did you in, had some set so, such challenges? Of course, if you can talk about it, not you know. Yeah, most probably yes. Most probably I've had those responses. But what people um, lack to understand is that if those were the type of responses that you've received for your entire life, you don't know the diff- You don't know. Because I don't see what other founders, what male founders receive as responses when they talk privately to investors. So I mm-hmm. have no idea <laughs> if my response is different. Uh, if what I'm getting, the feedback that I'm getting is different than from uh, that, you know, my fellow um, male founders get. So it's really hard to judge. But I know that statistically, it's almost impossible that I haven't being you know discriminated just on the fact that I'm a you know female founder but I can't I can't tell I, I don't know for sure now when I read uh you know uh articles about um how VCs discriminate but not on the face right like not not directly to your face but subtle discriminations like the type of questions that they ask you now when I'm looking back I I I do see some patterns I it kind of rings a bell it sounds familiar to me um but you know luckily I I I have some extremely amazing investors on board that support us and are so you know proud of what we're doing um I got lucky with Techstars I was in a cohort where uh, we were, I don't know, I think more than half of the of the CEOs were female. So that was nice. an amazing experience to go through. And then uh, with the Angular Ventures, there's a lot of CEO um, or female CEOs in, 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 in their portfolio as well. So it, it's, it doesn't feel like it's, I'm alone anymore in this. It might be a bit more difficult, but at least I'm I'm not alone. And that's, I think, what, what matters the most, that the number is growing, that more and more uh, women are going into business, more and more women are starting startups. And, and, and that's, you know, what's important. And it, for me, it's just all about like doing the best I can, I can do. Uh, and I don't want to think about, I don't know, counter counter acting and thinking about my strategy of how to respond or how to deal with people that might be mildly (laughs) discriminating me uh and what should i how should i approach that i i just don't want to spend my energy on that i i need to do the best i can do Uh, i need to be telling the best story when i'm pitching to investors and just 
build a, you know, awesome business. And I just can't be spending my energy on thinking how to approach this and what's the best strategy. I just don't, don't want to deal, you know, with those people. And that's it. If they're going to discriminate me and don't, don't they don't want to work with me, that's fine. You know, that's the, you know, the better. Uh, they're just going to filter themselves out. So that's fine. I agree with your final words. And uh, definitely my question wasn't for, 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 you know, uh, choosing sides or, you know, defining strategies or working on strategies on how to approach in case of I will receive answer A or B. Definitely not. That's, I think that's a sign of not having focus on what you actually said, you know, on the product. How should I pitch? How should I say my story better? Uh, and definitely my question wasn't, uh, you know, just to, uh, again, repeating myself, uh, not to choose sides and so on. But I do believe uh, that, you know, shedding light on some aspects that are unconscious and biased um, can minimize those things by happening in society. So that's somehow the reason I asked this question. So um, I think it's important to have that conversation from time to time because, um those biases uh and those unconscious patterns still exist within within the society um today and even uh they're going strong as well uh, as they did I, in the past i agree with you yeah you're, so you're definitely working a lot uh we know that because startup uh founders and foundresses um have a really packed calendar <laughs> not only a media calendar but a packed calendar with meetings and so on um you know what do you do to to stop and what do you start what do you do to disconnect from from work um of course what works for you first of all um but what are some some habits to kind of balance this load of work yeah i'm so happy that i finally have an answer for you because uh, if you would have asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would have had no answer literally for you. I had no hobbies, no passions whatsoever. <laughs> and I had to actually sit down and plan them, you know, like, like think about them and really build them consciously into my life because I didn't, I didn't really have any, I didn't have that many things that I was enjoying as much as building Planable. Um, but, it, you know, my partner told me that, okay, you uh, you have to do something. You have to build some, some hobbies into your life, not just, you know, spend your weekends watching Netflix and that's it, but really, you know, do something, um, you know, actively build some, you know, uh, some hobbies into your life. And I finally have them. <laughs> so I'm so happy to talk about them. Uh, I, uh, I, I really enjoy hiking. So going into the mountains and, uh, you know, really hiking for a couple of hours uh, in a weekend, spending one or two days in the mountains. I, I really do love that. And I think we're extremely fortunate in that regards, you know, living in Romania, we have some beautiful, beautiful places to, to go. And I, I, I really love that. And the second one that I do to disconnect quite a lot is uh, running. So I, um, I I jog every every other morning, <laughs> most of the days, most of the weeks. Um, and now it's uh, getting colder and colder, and I have to readjust uh, my my schedule and my my running patterns. Uh, I have to adjust with the with the new weather here in Romania. But yeah, those two, hiking and running, that's that's what I what I love doing the most. And it really helps me. I find that when I do those two activities, that's when my mind stops thinking. 
Um, I don't think about work that much anymore most of the times, especially when I'm hiking. It's all about like putting your foot in the right place. And it's like this, you know, heavy physical activity. Yeah, mindful. There's nothing else. There's nothing else because you you have to be careful how you step, you know, what rock you're grabbing and how you're, you know, everything that you're doing. So I really love that. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. I like as well hiking and going into the mountains. And we definitely have a lot of places that we can, you know, disconnect and and, and observe um, and visit the kind of the um, a really, you know, old uh, secular forests that uh, are still untouched. And that's that's a really beautiful scenery. Um, yeah, that's the thing as well. I think those two activities, what they have in common now that you mentioned, is nature. And I think, you know, for someone that works in an office all day and on the laptop, you know, building digital, virtual products, all of those those things that you can't touch, you can't see, you know, it's so nice to finally be with, you know, leaves and trees and rocks for a while. And they've always been there. Uh, it's just so refreshing. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, it's very, uh, for me, looking at it, it's very n- natural to have these kind of passions um, and, you know, have these kind of passions. I'm, what I'm saying this is because I'm, I have them as well. It's because we live somehow on one side of the extreme, living in the digital space, like nothing is physical, right? And by living for, a, you know, living with quotes, right? Living, doing a lot of stuff in the digi- digital space. Uh, you kind of disconnect with everything that is physical. So whenever, you know, we have the opportunity, we go to the forest and go back to kind of really raw, um, a really basic physical matter, right, uh, that we can connect back to. Um, and yeah. I think it's it's just natural to swing back to the other side of the, of the spectrum. Um, yeah. Xenia, as my final question, and um, I was pondering if... Should I ask you this question that I had prepared for you, or should it be just different because the conversation just went by so so smoothly and nice? But I think the, 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 the my final question is going to be something that just came to me, and that is, if you could look back at your journey so far, what would be one thing that you're grateful that you learned or... Um, you know, got from this journey as a lesson or as a, maybe as a habit, since we're talking about doing stuff in the nature, what was one thing that you got from the entire entrepreneurial journey and and so on? Yeah, I think the one thing that I'm extremely thankful for is um, learning how to build a team and how to find the right people and how important they are. and I'm, I, I feel extremely, extremely fortunate to have had the chance uh, to work with these people so far. And the fact that they decided, they made the choice to work with us, to mm-hmm. build the, this company together. This is the thing that I am most, most grateful for. And for them, for the fact that they have given me the chance to build leadership in myself and to become a better better founder a better ceo and for having that trust in me and and giving me the space to do all of that learning and all of that personal development and growth um that's 
probably the, the thing that I am I, I feel most grateful for. That's that's a that's a, an amazing answer. Xenia, um thank you very much for the conversation. It was an extremely smooth conversation and I really liked uh the entire all your answers and everything that you added as you know the added value to all the things that I've answered uh, asked sorry um and um what I could say is definitely you should speak more about your story I mean we need more people like you that um have this amazing growth uh and evolution in terms of as a female founder as an executive um as fundraising as all the facets that this kind of journey needs and um i'm happy to have you on the podcast and had the you know the opportunity to talk to you and uh, see your growth so thank you very much for joining thank you so much stefan for giving me the platform to share a bit about our journey thanks a lot i hope you got inspired by xenia's journey so far so remember to click the follow or subscribe button and get notified immediately when we publish a new episode until the next episode stay safe <laughs>